Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not a realtor. I'm not a radiologist. I'm not a Rotarian. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Okay, what do you say we get started? This one came from qcbad.com. Subject heading? Bloody hell. I like that. Dear Quinn, what the hell is in a Bloody Mary? Tomato juice? Clamato? V8? Vodka? Seems like vodka. I'm getting recipes that include horseradish and or hot sauce and or V8 versus tomato juice, and one even included cooking, and I am not doing that. And I also thought you garnished with celery, but I'm seeing olives and a strip of bacon, of all things. If someone says they'd love a Bloody Mary at my house, What should I be making? As luck would have it, I just finished my bartending class where I had to memorize a bunch of recipes and I wrote one down. This is good. Take it down. Yes, you're putting in vodka. Unless you're making a Bloody Maria, which is tequila. Everything else will be the same. So, two ounces vodka. Three ounces tomato juice, one half ounce lime juice, fresh, one quarter ounce simple syrup, which is one part sugar to one part water. It's not mandatory, but it makes it better. Three dashes Tabasco, four dashes Worcestershire sauce, grated horseradish, little bit, taste it, see if you need more, a half a teaspoon celery salt, two pinches black pepper. Shake, 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 shake. Pour out over ice. Now, how do you garnish it? You garnish it with a celery stick. If you're feeling fancy, you can add a lime wedge and an olive. You do not need to. You do not put anything else in there. You are not the bartender at Cheesecake Factory. Hi, Quinn. My boyfriend started grad school this year, and it's been a bit of an adventure. It's a remote program, so he usually works during the day and then does classes at night. The first semester, he had only one class, which left him with plenty of time to do other things. He took this as a great sign and is now doing two classes, and it's completely eating up his time. I'm trying to be supportive, but we've clashed over chores not getting done and me feeling like a nag for reminding him to do things, like make doctor's appointments. Am I a total asshole for being frustrated when he has so much on his plate? Or is there a better way to balance this? Consort has this theory that all relationships rise and fall on expectations. Imagine I got a cat, which is 
a perfectly reasonable thing to imagine me doing. Now, imagine I brought it back to the rescue a week later. I wish to return this cat, I say. Why? Because it refuses to fly around the room and land on my shoulder. My expectation was reasonable if I had a bird. My expectations were not in alignment with reality as we know it. Right now, it appears that neither are yours. I can speak to this with some degree of knowledge. For two years, Concert was in graduate school for his MBA while also working. When he wasn't working, he was at school. And when he wasn't at school or work, he was with his study group. And when he wasn't at work, school, or his study group, he was making time to spend with our daughter, whom he adores and who at the time was a preschooler. Did a lot of things get jettisoned for those two years? You bet. Please note how I wasn't in the top four of that list. I knew it was temporary and that the trade-off was worth it. And there were still days that I looked at all that I was carrying around the house and I felt very sorry for myself. So I empathize. You have two grievances you've run together and I think they need to be separated, though. Number one, now that he's taking two classes, chores aren't getting done. Look at the amount of work he's doing. Is he constantly studying, reading, getting ready for class, or working? Then it may be unrealistic for him to think about the laundry right now. Sit down together for 20 minutes. Triage your chores. What's life-threatening? What's serious? What's just annoying? Figure out what he can do with the time he has. If you're both that busy and you're both working, maybe splurge and get a housekeeper every two weeks. It really does make a huge difference. Then again, if he's sitting on the couch playing a video game and you point out the trash and he says, I'm just about to study, he's using grad school as an excuse not to do chores. You expected more of him. You now have more information. Do with that what you will. The second grievance, he's not making doctor's appointments. Let me be blunt. He did not come out of your vagina he is not your child. He is a grown-ass man who got into grad school. You can model the behavior that adults see their doctor. You can suggest to him that the two of you get on the same schedule for annual checkups so it's easier for both of you to remember to go. But beyond that, it's his body and it's his health. The trash, you can talk about. The teeth, you cannot. This is from qcbad.com. The subject heading, A Real First World Problem. Thank God for Anonymity. Dear Quinn, My wife and I recently went to a much-anticipated fancy show in a fancy theater complete with expensive tickets. We settled in to really enjoy ourselves, but the woman next to me, who had come by herself, showed up extremely drunk. We thought her chattiness with all around her would simmer when the lights went down, but it only got worse. At funny moments in the show, she'd throw her head back and bellow her laughter, lasting long after everyone else had stopped. She was slapping her leg and the armrest. It was all very over the top. Over the top, that is, until she pulled out all the snacks she had smuggled in her purse and loudly crunched through wrappers and candies. It was a special night we had been looking forward to. We had spent a good amount on tickets to a show we missed a third of because we didn't hear it over her constant noises. 
My wife slipped out to alert an usher more than halfway through, but no one ever came. I'm no shrinking violet and would have said something, but after each laugh she gave a look that said, I dare you, and I didn't want a scene. We can't redo the night, but we would love some bad advice on how we could have handled it differently. Chaotic people love people like you, and I can say this with absolute authority because you and I were of the same cloth. We just desperately want this thing to not escalate. We want to enjoy our evening and not have a one-woman production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf being performed in the seat next to us. But loath as you and I are to admit it, chaos has entered our lives, and it's time to consider the first three laws of social dynamics. First rule. An object will remain at rest or in a uniform state of motion until that state is changed by an external force. What this means, she wasn't going to change her behavior until someone got involved. Second rule. Force is equal to the change in momentum over time. In other words, the rate of change is directly proportional to the amount of force applied. In other other words, she wasn't going to change until real social force was applied. The third rule. For every action in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Before she got better, she would have briefly gotten worse thus confirming the suspicions of people like you and me. But then she would have been gone, as opposed to what she was, which was a person ruining your evening. That the usher never showed up is shocking and appalling, in that when you write to the fancy theater's head office explaining everything that happened, I strongly suggest you use those exact words. I was shocked and appalled at how this situation was handled by your organization. They screwed up. They owe you another night. Dear Quinn, I have just moved into a new house with my partner. It used to be his ex's. We got the house to give his daughter stability, and we've adopted her dog. I like this dog, but because of her connection to my partner's past, I am finding it hard to love her. What can I do to build a real connection with the dog? You are a good soul. I know this because it would have been easy to just stare at the dog and think, you, dog, are a mammal who lives in the house who, like my partner, has seen both his ex-wife and myself naked. This makes me feel weird, so I shall ignore you or even eat bacon in front of you just to see the look in your eyes. Instead, you want to have a connection with the dog that I know is also a good soul because she is a dog and all dogs are good souls. Now, how to create a connection between two good souls? Learn something together. Quinn, are you suggesting the dog and I take a wine tasting class together? No, I am not, because dogs should not eat raisins and what is wine but fancy raisins? No, I want you to Google canine good citizenship test and find a nearby trainer or program. If you aren't a dog person, the CGC test runs a dog through 10 different challenges, including the trainer putting them in a downstay and then leaving the room for three minutes, during which time the dog must maintain the downstay. It's a big test. There are a lot of challenges. 
On the other side, if they pass the test, you have an even better behaved dog. You might have lower homeowner's insurance. And if you choose, you have a dog who can be trained to visit people in hospitals. Even if the dog doesn't pass the test, you guys have worked together, you have bonded, you've gotten to know one another, and you have both found out how likable the other one is. Hey, Quinn. Had a Tinder date the other day. He came over, seemed nice. We ended up sleeping together. I gave him a condom, since I didn't know about his history and vice versa, and he took it without a fuss. I thought it was a little weird he didn't have one, but I ignored it. When we were done, I noticed the condom had somehow vanished. I called him on it, and he said he guessed it had slipped off. He left pretty hurriedly, blocking me on Tinder right after he left, and I realized that I had been stealthed. I got an STD test scheduled next week, and I'm terrified. I've got the arm implants, so I don't have to worry about pregnancy, hopefully. I've been insanely careful about staying clean. I've required all my partners to have physical printouts of recent clean STD test results before anything unprotected happened. It's making me feel awful to think that all my efforts could be undone by some jerk. I didn't think I had to confirm that the condom was still on. It never crossed my mind that someone would do that. I've been having panic attacks about this guy having given me HIV or something. I'm not sure if you can do anything to help, but I kind of just wanted someone to tell me what to do so maybe I can stop feeling like my life is ruined. Thanks. Signed, Maybe Infected. In a second, I will go back to giving you bad advice, but I am, however briefly, qualified to answer this having worked on the AIDS hotline when I was 17. HIV is a virus, but not all viruses are alike. For example, measles is a virus where if an infected person walks through a room, an unvaccinated person can walk through that room three hours later and contract measles. It is a durable virus. HIV is a terrible virus, but the odds of you being exposed and contracting HIV through a single act of, I'm just guessing here, vaginal intercourse with a random man is very small. Let me repeat that, very small. A lot of the people who have been infected through vaginal intercourse have had other health conditions that meant that they were not completely physically healthy to start with. Now, I'm not saying healthy people don't get infected with a single exposure during vaginal intercourse. I'm saying the odds are very, very, very small. I won't say you weren't exposed to other STDs. I'm very proud of you for getting tested. But this leads me to my real concern, the choice you made. You are, by your own description, an extremely cautious person. You chose to have sex with a stranger. Now, I'm not shaming you. I'm stating a fact. You knew only what he told you about himself. You did not know him. He wasn't even an acquaintance. You arrived with an expectation that you'd both be honest. We have no idea what his plan was. That doesn't sound like the sort of thing you usually do, because it's clearly making you very unhappy right now in a way that indicates it's out of character. It doesn't sound as if this has been much fun for you in the aggregate. Maybe you ran an experiment. Is this something I like? 
Or maybe you're feeling a little sad or angry or lost about something else, and doing this sounded like a better idea than not doing this. I can't promise your HIV test will come back negative, but the odds are highly likely it will. When you know you're in the clear and you can breathe the first complete breath you have taken in weeks, I want you to consider how lucky you are. He was an ass. He could have been worse. Maybe that's not a risk you need to take twice. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D, dot com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a Bad Advice Fork and a Toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time.